Welcome to Kuden, the radio show and podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Sheehan Jeffrey Miller and Shidoshi Eric White. Sheehan Miller is the 13th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Shidoshi Eric White has been a student of Sheehan Miller's for over a decade. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Good to have you all here with us today on KUDEN. Uh, I'm Eric White, joined by Jeffrey Miller. Happy to have you with us. We've got a number of things to talk about on uh, this program, uh, this week's program. Actually, it's been another couple-week hiatus since we've been able to have it. My fault, uh, completely. Uh, but we're here. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm good, thanks. Um, I'm just busy. Um, today, I'm, I've got a smile on my face, and I'm, I'm keeping the energy high and all that, but I'm freaking exhausted <laughs> between wow. consulting stuff and stuff we have going on in the dojo and a couple of uh, book projects I'm working on. Um, I'm freaking tired, dude. <laughs> I'm tired. So, uh, and I'm not going to be able to sleep this weekend because uh, uh, stepdaughter's moving back into the house, uh, and so we're renovating a room uh, because when she moved out, I took over her room as my home office. Um, Actually, I had a home office. Anyway, there's a whole bunch of moving around going on. And so uh, I uh, – how do I spin this into a positive slant? I get to lay flooring this weekend. That's what I'll be doing. <laughs> okay. So anyway. It's a great a opportunity to exercise some of that wonderful uh, ninja power generation techniques. Yeah, absolutely. That's what works for me, just the deep breathing and, uh, you know, stretching, keeping the gates open. Yeah, it's all good. Excellent. So I know we have a couple of questions here uh, to get to. Question from Josh, question from Chris, and I'm sure maybe more will roll in during this program. Um, But we also have uh, some kind of timely topics to discuss, uh, as you know we often do on this program. Uh, Things happen in the world, and and we try to we try to discuss them uh, when those things happen. And most recently, uh, the shooting. A school shooting in in Florida, and uh, you were just remarking to me before the program that it hit a little closer at home for you there in central Pennsylvania. Uh, I well, guess there was a, yeah, there was a, there was another shooting actually the day after Florida in Kentucky. Uh, two kids were killed and 17 more were injured uh, in that one, and uh, that person was apprehended. Um, and then here, uh, apparently, it started in Ohio, and then. Um, Two schools here in uh, in our local area, uh, I guess people don't call in bomb threats anymore. Now they're being stupid and they're calling in um, active shooter scenarios. Instead of just showing up and doing it, um, these guys were gracious enough to actually uh, call in. And, of course, that causes a lockdown and they get to feel all special about themselves. Uh, but, um, yeah, the high school that my daughter goes to, uh, my stepdaughter, wow. uh, yesterday, right, uh, they went in yesterday morning, and the place was surrounded by police and uh, making sure that there was a, there was a police presence, uh, more than just uh, one officer. Uh, and uh, so uh, they had school go on as usual, uh, but again, they had plenty of guns that were there. 
and then mm. uh, they it was going to carry over. It carried over into today, but based on the things that they put in place and the fact that they were going to have uh, lots of law enforcement there, um, I felt safe enough to, to send her to school because you can only do so much, you know. Um, but uh, uh, they uh, actually arrested uh, one of the kids that uh, called in the or made the phone call. I guess people don't realize that their phone uh, actually gets identified, whether it's listed, unlisted, blocked, whatever, in the 911 system. So uh, that one was arrested. But apparently there was another one in on it. And as of um, yesterday evening, uh, he had not been found. So, hmm. um, but I think they're uh, they're resolving things pretty well. Yeah. So anyway. Well, one of the things you know we've always done uh, just in our our own face to face personal conversations and my time uh, knowing you and at the dojo and and with this program is kind of the extension of that uh, is trying to you know get to the heart of some of these matters. Uh, often we get it through the media; it gets very politicized and and altered and slanted this way or that way. But you know, we're our goal here is whether it's popular or unpopular is to try to cut to the heart of of the truth of some of the things behind. Uh, when these things happen and, and talk about the practical application of well, what would you do in these situations and how can you further protect yourself. So interestingly, uh, saw that you shared and, and I've seen it shared by many others, um, a video of, of a, a father of one of the students who was killed in, in, in the shooting in Florida. Uh, and and he was at the, the president's kind of speaking session uh, about what to do. Uh, and while so many of the media kind of often start talking about gun control, uh, this father of, of, a, of, of a killed student was talking about pr protecting the school. And I'd, I'd like to hear you talk more about that. Well, the reason I shared is I absolutely agree. I mean, you know, of course, yeah, you know, you have these extremes, right? You have people on one side that are uh, so pro-gun that you know, they're not open to uh, more regulations. And I, I understand their side because uh, everything that's being proposed as far as uh, more laws or more gun control or whatever, everything that's being cited, those laws are already on the books, right? So um, yeah. now what, right? And then on the other side, you got the people that would just like them all to go away, uh, including – you know, uh, you know, just like make them all go away so that only police have firearms. Um, but as I as I look at these stories and I look at these people that post these things, they're also the same people that are, you know, knocking the police and the police are corrupt and can't be trusted and they're not there to protect you anyway. So, um, you know, so I, I, get, I get what both sides are looking for. But uh, on when I shared the video, what I said was, one, I, I really feel for the guy because if that were my son, daughter, whatever, I, I would probably not just feel the same. Um, I'd go on a witch hunt for somebody, you know. And um, this guy didn't pop himself after he did the shooting. He's in custody, so he better be surrounded by a lot of protection. Um, that's just me, right? Uh, if, if you ever see me come up for investigation or whatever, just erase all these recordings, okay? Uh, no, it's all right. Uh, so, um, but the, one of the things that really stood out for me was basically he was telling people to get their head out of their ass. I mean, he was telling them, you know, look, the priority right now should be school security, okay? We secure all kinds of things and all kinds of places. Uh, he even mentioned that he had, he had uh, been to the Department of Education um, yesterday or the day before 
and they have a security guard in the elevator, right? So yeah. if we can put a security guard in the elevator in the Department of Education, right? Why are we having such a difficult time protecting schools? And why are we stopping with buzzers on the door when, you know, a couple of shootings ago, uh, the kid shot out the glass in the windows in the doors and walked in. So buzzer or no buzzer, it doesn't really matter. But the part I ag agreed with was this is not – he didn't say this is not a gun control issue. What he said was that's a battle for another day, and I, I, yeah. I wholeheartedly agree. Not that I want to suspend it. It's just that even if they pass legislation today, I mean, unilaterally, everybody from the executive office down – said, fine, we're cleaning them all up, and we're going to do a, an, an Aussie-style roundup of all guns, like the Australians did uh, over a decade ago, right? Yeah. Uh, still didn't clean them all up. But either way, even if we did that, right, it's going to take six months or more to make all this happen, to make them all go, go away. And yet, guns are still going to be available because they've always been available, right? Criminals have them. Most people know that they can go to some back alley in Baltimore, Detroit, Chicago, some little town someplace. I mean, if there's a drug trade going on, there's black market guns available, right? They may pay three, four times the price for it, but they can get one, right? Yeah. So the priority should be in securing the schools, not, at least for the moment, not in more gun control or more of this bickering back and forth and all that. That's not the priority, Right. Um, and this is just a basic combat kind of thing. You know, um, we cover this in class, right? If somebody and, – and it's really funny. In, in class, well, it's not so funny, but this is an important lesson. I do this for our TOT students, our youth students, everybody, right? It's, it's really big with the, with the kids, though, because they tend to disconnect more quickly, right? So we'll have one of our blockers or a padded stick or something like that. We're coming around and swinging at their heads or whatever, uh, you know, poking them in the gut, and, you know, they have to do uh, an evasive movement or they have to do one of these, uh, we call it a bunny drop, but it's a, it's a version of Cheetobi, right, this downward leap kind of thing, right? So uh, they're fine as long as we're standing in front of them, but then, uh, you know, when we're off to somebody else in the circle, right, and – they're not the quote-unquote obvious target, then they start chattering, they look over and wave at mom, or they're not paying attention, and you know, so the instructors, or me, right, will we'll, uh, look like we're attacking one person and then suddenly do a sidestep and swing at the person not paying attention. Because the lesson is, you know, don't assume that just because the apparent bad guy is looking at the apparent target that they can't get at you, Right? There is a person in the room with a weapon. The awareness and attention needs to go on the threat. The threat is not the weapon. The threat is the person controlling the weapon, right? And as long as we have, well, we have more and more people every day coming up with more and more reasons to hate human beings in general or this group or that group or whatever, and because of the, the prevailing beliefs, there's this, apparent justification that they can act out if they don't like what's going on or their life's in the toilet or whatever it is, right? So, uh, you know, and, and with, with what's going on today and with this video, so I, I hope that people will get a chance to see it. If you, if you go to my uh, Facebook page or you go to uh, my 
is it on my consulting page? Where did I post that? Uh, it might be on the consulting page as well. Uh, for your concepts international, uh, I, I you look at this thing because that's his point. His point is, uh, you know, gun control can can that battle can wait for another day because it's going to take too long, right? We should have had schools more secured after the very first incident with Columbine, right? And I think you were still around at the dojo. You hadn't moved to California yet when Columbine happened. Is that right? Uh, no, I was in California when Columbine happened. Oh, were you? Okay. All right. So, yeah, I think that goes uh, back far but, enough. But, but when all these, all these, um, uh, you know, the, the security that went up, which was primarily, right, uh, they locked the doors down and then they had this buzzer. And I'd go, you know, take something to my kids at school, buzz in. They'd ask me, you know, uh, what I needed, and I told them what I was there for. They, nobody came to double check. There was no holding ID up to a, up to, to a camera, anything like that. They hit a buzzer. You go in, and now you have full access to the school. There's one school that I know of in our area where you get buzzed in, and the office is directly in front of you, but anything leading down hallways to, to classrooms have secondary doors on them that you'd have to get buzzed through those doors as well, okay? So mm. you can literally, an aggressor can literally get trapped in a box um, in, this, in this thing. So it's at least one step farther. Um, but the, 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 thing, the point that he's making is, you know, this, this should have been taken care of after the first shooting. But, yeah. you know, people like to believe that, and he even said it himself. He never thought it was going to happen to him. Because if he thought it was going to happen to him or his kids, he'd have been in school with his kids every day to make sure that he could at least do something, right? Um, he wasn't abdicating their security to somebody else. And that speaks of something, and I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, there's really different areas or different levels of security that, uh, and self-defense, uh, however you want to look at it, uh, that everybody really needs to be looking at. But, yeah, so... The, the big thing with that video is I, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, one, I my heart goes out to the guy because I couldn't imagine, I can only imagine what it would feel like if that were one of my kids, right? But um, he makes an excellent point that, you know, you need to focus on what's the priority. If there is, uh, you know, just like I teach with the students, right, there's somebody with a stick in the room, they get the attention. But that can be extended out societally or socially so that we understand that this is a recurring problem, right? These things are occurring. We need to stop thinking that the last one is or will be the last one. Does that make sense, right? The, the yeah. previous mm -hmm. one, or the, the most recent one, is going to be the last one, right? Um, so what are we doing? And this goes well beyond uh, parents or the, the community looking at the school or looking at the government or whatever and saying, what are you going to do about this? We also need to look, take a good hard look in the mirror and ask ourselves, what have we done to help make our children more safe and secure uh, by giving them a response plan or by giving them things that, that they might be able to do to increase their, their likelihood of, uh, you know, of, of surviving one of these things. So, um, you know, the wheels of government, the wheels of, uh, corporations and all that move very slowly, right? As fast as we would like to make them happen, they, they still move slowly. So um, I'll, I'll make that, that next piece or that, that part about what can we do um, a, a 
separate subset. So I'll, I'll you know, I'll, we'll, we'll kind of stay here for the moment with it being a general thing. But what's your take on, on these things? I mean, uh, you know, you're a dad, right? Um, yeah, so. well, uh, I agreed. I agreed with him uh, on, on a lot of his points as well. That you know, this really focus. The focus needs to be on on developing a better level of protection for schools. Um, you know, it was funny where he not funny, but I mean, it was interesting that he made the comment. Uh, you know, as you pointed out there too about if you know he thought if he thought this was dangerous, he would have been there every day, ready to protect his kids. Um, you know. I think about these things a lot because I, I hear them. Maybe I hear them more because I work in media or I just pay attention more than others do. Uh, you know, I kind of hold that opinion that this can happen anywhere. It certainly can. Um, and, yeah, I am a father. And my son is seven. We homeschool him. He's, he's a cyber school guy, which he loves, and it works out well for his personality and his, his, uh, his type of his learning type. Uh, but also when these things happen, every time one of these happens – uh, I actually kind of just go, yep, uh, I feel good about my decision because I know exactly where he is and who he's with. And he's he's in a an area that I've set up that I know has levels of protection and is is not where he's out of my care. And that can, you know, I'm sure to some sound, well, that's a little overbearing or over paranoid. But uh, as I say, these things keep happening. I feel pretty, uh, pretty good about my decision on that. Yeah, and I mean this this does go to that the difference between delegating and abdicating, right? Uh, I, I run a school, I run a business, I have a consulting firm, I'm in companies all the time, and so uh, you know people will use the word delegation, right? That they're delegating certain responsibilities for the operation of the company or the operation of whatever the the project is going on. They're delegating that to somebody else, but if that person drops the ball. You know, the person who did the delegating, uh, you know, throws a fit, right? And we can do the same thing, right? I delegate uh, the taking out of the trash on uh, Tuesday night in my house to uh, the, the teenagers, right? They have to take the cans out to the, to the curb, and any extra bags that we have have to go out and all that stuff, right? So that's delegated to them, right? What that means is that I also double-check because ultimately it's my responsibility. I mean, it's my house, right? I mean, we can say that it's the kid's house, too, and all that, but, you know, my my name's on the deed. I pay the mortgage and all that. So um, it's ultimately my responsibility because if it gets missed, right, no amount of me yelling the next day that it didn't get done is going to change the fact that we're going to have double the amount of trash next week, and we don't have the space and storage for that much. I mean, we need weekly pickups. So there it is, right? So that delegation requires that we're also double-checking to make sure that things are being put in place or that the things are that should be happening are happening. That's a cool thing about living in a um, – people like to word, use the word democracy, but it's not. We're in a representative republic. Um, as part of our personal responsibility as citizens of this type of, type of government structure, that – we should be double-checking, right? We should be making sure that those things are happening. If they're not, uh, showing up at town halls or whatever and, and questioning these things and, and asking specifically, when's this going to happen, right? When When is that going to happen? And then making decisions based on that, right? Maybe these aren't the right people to be uh, uh, making sure our kids are secure while we're, you know, at work or whatever, right? See, 
what most people do when they're not delegating is they're actually abdicating. And abdication, people can try to write that off as a delegation, but abdication is actually passing something off on somebody else and then just letting it go, just assuming that it's getting done, but they never double-check or whatever, right? So that's just not good leadership um, skill. It's not just not good leadership ability. So uh, we want to make sure that – and a lot of us that train, right, um, you know, we would say that we've taken personal responsibility for our, uh, our own safety. That's why we train. But I have to ask, is that true in every area of your life, right? Have you, um, you know, have you, uh, in, in a sense, we delegate um, part of that, that uh, safety and security, part of that self-defense role to uh, the government or the police or whatever, because if, if we can get our arms to extend far enough, right, and somebody else can be putting up a different type of perimeter, to catch bad guys before they get closer to my house, then that puts another layer, layer of security in there. And there's actually three that I've identified. And uh, uh, when, when folks get a chance, if they're listening on the call, they can go to the, um, the page that gets set up for these things on a weekly basis. If you're online and you're on that page, there are some links that were on there when you signed in. Uh, there's one button that I think is actually for some free uh, ninjutsu training uh, that's tied into a webinar that I did, uh, but there's a, there's a text link that I just added before this call kicked in that allows you to download a worksheet that I use in uh, my corporate training with, uh, with companies, and um, on there, you'll, it's, it's called the three rings of security, all right? We're going to replace the word security with self-defense, if that makes you feel better, or the three rings of ninjutsu self-defense, whatever makes you feel comfortable, put that in there, um, but there are three concentric circles. That means it looks like a bullseye. Okay? And then there are three lines marked one, two, and three. So when you get a chance, download that and listen to the recording again and, and go back through this. Or if you have access to a piece of paper and a pen, pencil, marker, crayon, you can snip off the end of your finger and use blood, whatever. Um, you know, you can do that now and just make these three concentric circles. Basically create a bullseye with three rings. All right? And then on the outer ring, put the number one. On the middle ring, put the number two, and on the inside ring, put the number three. Uh, and then they'll match up with the little lines that are there to the, to the right, uh, numbers one, two, and three. And what you're really looking at are the three rings of security. And for a company, um, it's going to look different because we're, we're bringing it in uh, more closely where we're talking about the fence line, then we're talking about building access, and then we're talking about uh, personal security or personal protection for individuals whether it's people in the C-suite, it's line managers and supervisors, or it's individual employees. For ourselves and our personal lives, right, this looks a little bit different, right? Now, you can make this a microscopic kind of thing, or you can make it a macroscopic kind of thing. You can make both and then overlay them so that you get how this really works, because you could do the same thing with a fence line of your house, build, uh, access to, you know, get people being able to get in your house, and then personal security inside, or you can do it in your workplace or whatever. But I'm going to look at it from, from a broader, kind of a macroscopic kind of uh, viewpoint, right? So number one, okay, is we're, we're going to call that the government slash police because the police really are run by uh, hmm. local, municipal, state, or federal 
uh, government agencies. Okay, so that's that, right? That's that's something that, that the government has put in place to filter through and to to be out there keeping an eye on uh, the the uh, society as a whole, right? The community as a whole. Okay, so what they're what they're looking to do is snag these people before they get closer to you, before they get close enough, right? That's your first level of safety and security, right? You have, if you're doing it in a mindful, responsible way, you have delegated that through ta paying tax dollars and, uh, you know, recognizing that that level of security exists, you're delegating that out. If you just make the assumption that it's the police's job to protect you, like a lot of people do, and I'm assuming that anybody that's on this, you don't think that way or you wouldn't train in self-defense, right? But in this part, right, of protecting the community as a whole before these people get to you or whatever, um, from a responsible mindset, this is we have delegated that part, okay? Um, in essence, we have extended ourselves beyond our own physical reach and created an and people have heard this, right, an arm of the government that's supposed to be there to help protect uh, society at large, right, the, the community at large, right? Um, so, but there, there's, so, there's so few of them. I mean, we couldn't, unless we turn things into a police state, you couldn't have one with every individual, right, because that's the only way to really make sure you're protected individually is to have a bodyguard or make sure you have the skills. So anyway, either way, that's that's your first circle, your first line of defense, as bad guys might be trying to get closer to you or to your community or to your neighborhood or to your kid's school or to your workplace or whatever, okay? The inner circle, the, the secondary circle, number two, is uh, friends and family, okay? Uh, your neighbors, right? So the circle is in closer to your own place, right? It could be coworkers, uh, anything like that, right? For your children, you're a part of that second circle. For yourself, you're actually hmm. part of circle number three. But for your kids, you're part of circle number two. And we can't forget this because this is important in the strategic thinking and the tactical application of the skills that you're learning or that you possess and can pass on to other people, okay? So you're not in a static place. Uh, you can't look at it and go, well, see, I'm in circle number three, okay? Uh, if you're a law enforcement officer or you work security or whatever and, you know, I don't, it's the company that you work for, right, you are number three when it comes down to it and they're right in front of you, but you're also for that company and it's part of your job, you're part of uh, the, the first circle, right? If you're in a manager or a supervisory position or you're a coworker, you could end up being in circle number two if, let's say, domestic violence spilled over into your workplace and a disgruntled uh, life partner comes in to hurt one of your coworkers, right? You're now hmm. part of circle number two. So, yeah. uh, you know, if we, if we really look at this from a, from a full-on perspective, this goes way beyond just learning physical skills to duck punches and not get stabbed or hit with a you know, baseball bat or whatever, personally, we need to have things in place where we can proactively and effectively operate if we're in ring number two or if it extends out that far and our job requires that we're in ring number one, okay? But, again, this goes down to, you know, are we delegating or are we abdicating, 
right? If we just make the assumption um, that I'm personally responsible for things and if somebody comes into my house, I'm going to take care of that or whatever, yeah, well, okay, but what if your best friend or your brother or whatever and his family live next door and somebody's breaking in there, right? Uh, what do you have in place? For your kids at school, right? Just because my kids are out of sight or not in my presence um, doesn't mean that they don't get training for how to handle things in other realms. Uh, case in point, my 16-year-old, she typically lives with her mom. Uh, I get her most of the summer and holidays and every other weekend, right? Well, when she comes mm -hmm. to visit me on the weekends, Saturday morning, her, her butt's in class, right? Well, let me tell you how much my 16-year-old doesn't like coming to class. Right? She will do anything she can to avoid class. Right? Uh, didn't used to be that way when she was six and not argumentative as a teenager. Right? <laughs> it, it, it was different. Right? But now eh, it's not so great. You know, whatever. Okay? Now, once she gets in class, everything is fine. But it's the getting her there. And she'll say, I don't want to go to class. And I look at her and say, and my answer is what? And she'll roll her eyes and slump her shoulders and do that teenage come I, right, and say, tough, right. And I say, absolutely. You cannot like this, and you cannot like this decision, okay? I get it, right? But it's, and I'll also say, and why is my answer tough? You know, and she'll make that same tone, right, because you want me to be safe. You can make that tone all you want. It's my responsibility to make sure that you are safe. The fact that you're with me less and less as you get older and low, older. So you're not just not with me and you're with your mom, but as a teenager, you're now at school functions more often. You're, you know, out with your friends and all that. Even if you lived in my house, you would be with me less and less. But the fact that you're with me less and less does not relieve me of my responsibility to make sure that you're safe. So mm. you come to class, you learn hand-to-hand -hand stuff. When we're talking about these little incidents in the world and I start sharing little things, right, and mistakes that people made uh, with maybe barring a door, but it wasn't a bulletproof door and they didn't know firearms well enough to realize that that 9-millimeter or that .223 round was going to come through that door and next thing you so you're not borrowing it for more than a second or three and you're not saving anybody, but there are more effective ways to bar that door and provide yourself with cover in the process. Uh, and that is true regardless of whether the school or your workplace or whatever um, has anything in place, uh, you know, whether they've spent money on bulletproof doors or whatever. doesn't matter, right? So I share those things with her so that, you know, she can more effectively operate. And we talk about them on a regular basis so that they are not top of mind like paranoia top of mind, but she she knows the answer. Okay? I can't do anything about her shutting down or uh, or you know panicking under pressure any more than maybe we run some drills in class or whatever. But the information is there. That's my that's my job. Okay. Ultimately, it's up to the individual as to what they're going to do with information. And I know that. And, and I'll still be sad if she doesn't make it in that moment. But at the same time. I feel very confident and very secure in myself that, um, you know, I've delegated part of my responsibility for making sure she's safe to her during those times when I'm not in her presence.
which is only going to get more and more as in greater and greater as she grows up and moves out into the world properly, right? So anyway, so uh, ring number two is friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, that kind of thing. And then ring number three is you, right? That's And unfortunately, and, and I mean this in, hmm. in the best way and hopefully in the most motivational way, unfortunately, most people who practice martial arts or self-defense tend to have narrow vision and stop looking at the self-defense, personal development, or self-defense, personal safety kind of things at ring number three, at, at themselves, right? Hmm. It's not that they don't cross it over to family, but the assumption is they're going to be there when it happens so they'll be able to keep their, their family safe. But that's not true. And the older your children get, and if you're, you know, I mean, unless you're work-from-home person, and so is your wife or your significant other, and, you know, you're living in a secured compound, you're not going to be there. Chances are you're not going to be there. And if you are, then you have to respond out of personal safety and handle uh, the threat to prevent it from getting to your family at the same time. So have you worked those things out? Right? I know I'm talking a lot about this stuff, but, um, you know, the school thing, you know, what it really comes down to is until something better is done, you really have a choice, right? Do what you have done or start teaching your kids some things that will increase their ability to be safe regardless of whether the school has something in place or not. It is what it is, right? Um, and, and that's really what it comes down to. And then if you don't know what could be done or whatever, you know, you can always start with a basic Google search knowing that there's more to things than just some of these simple answers that, that are put up, right? Like the uh, making sure your school books are in, in a backpack and you take the backpack off. And I mean, if you're running away from the person, the backpack should be on the back of your body. But if you're hiding in a room, in a school room, and your kid's not in one of these schools that have banned backpacks, uh, going to and from classes because a person might be carrying a weapon or whatever. Uh, see, you're trading off one for another. Then making sure that your kid's not being lazy and they've got three decent books in there because uh, they've already shown where a 9-millimeter round, uh, let alone a .223 round, will penetrate two good size. I'm, I'm talking about those really thick math books yeah. and or science right. books. I'm not talking about the paperbacks, right? It'll penetrate two of those and answer a third one, but not penetrate the third one completely. But then you need to be able to teach them how to carry it so that that makeshift body armor covers the kill zone, that 4 by 11 inch strip that, you know, overlaps the sternum and runs down. Because if they, even if they're, you know, wearing it on the front of their body, the books, based on their very weight and the way backpacks are made, are going to hang too low. They're going to cover the guts and the intestines. They're not going to cover the heart and lungs and, and the, the main part of the spinal cord that keeps those things operating, right? So they have to be taught how to uh, bring their arms up from underneath, kind of like a well-endowed woman keeping the boobies up in the air, right? Um, they need to come up from underneath. Yes, they can be winged on the arm or whatever, but they need to get that, that stuff up. Now, again, saying that the school has to not have a policy in place where your kid can't take hit their backpack from class to class to class. Two, right. you, the kid can't be going to a school where they have either phased out or are in the process of phasing out school books, and now everybody has 
an iPad or a laptop, and that's what might be in the backpack or between them. Because an iPad or a backpack isn't going to stop, you know, uh, uh, a 22, let alone something bigger, right? They won't even stop a, a knife stab, right? How do I know this? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It's called testing your um, your, your uh, materials, okay? So anyway, it's just, again, food for thought. Uh, but again, I, and I know every time one of these things happens, it doesn't matter if it's a workplace violence thing, it doesn't matter if it's a school shooting, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, uh, somebody got shot in downtown, big city, fill in the blank of the name. You know, everybody comes out of the woodwork and half the group is defending gun rights and half the group wants guns to go away. But even if they went away today, you have the delay in getting them all mopped up. And even so, you're not getting them all mopped up. So you may have minimized the problem, but the problem still exists. But the, the, and here's a case in point, right? We, we got on the phone, we got on this call talking about Florida, but the very next day it happened in Kentucky. And the very next day there were two threats here and one in Ohio. So, you know what I mean? It, people need to prioritize. And that's why we, we do things in class and in our program, like the 5D, right, to be able to prioritize what you should be paying attention to at each phase in a self-defense situation, regardless of how many step-by-step kata you've learned, regardless of how many kama you know, right? There's, there's phases in an engagement. That's why we teach the eight phases of self-defense strategy. So regardless of whether you're in the paying attention phase, the situational awareness phase, the escape to safety phase, distraction phase, dissuasion phase, whatever, you have mm-hmm. options and you've got things that you've practiced and you haven't put all of your eggs in the basket of unless he's stabbing me or trying to shoot me in the face and he's close enough for me to touch, um, I'm not going to be able to do anything. Right? Unless you put yourself in that thing where, which is really the greatest level of, of threat and the greatest uh, where the greatest chance of something going wrong is, right, when the punches are actually flying or the knife's coming at you or whatever, um, so many people just ignore the, you know, pay your bill and get the hell out kind of phase or, uh, you know, the, the, the verbal de-escalation kind of things or uh, whatever, right? So uh, anyway, these things just kind of, kind of get highlighted and they get me all amped up because, uh, I get it. What I get what each side is, is trying to do, but they're all focused on the wrong thing. Okay? And here's another example, just just to kind of round this out. Uh, you know, from my workplace violence consulting stuff. Uh, since the Texas incident occurred with that church, lots of churches have been calling me to kind of phone things up, right? So as a part mm-hmm. of the first phase, you know, I'll go in and do an initial assessment. As a part of that assessment. A church representative will give me a tour around the building so I can look at things. I can look at things like uh, how's the parking lot laid out, uh, you know, a building entry, how easy is it for people to get in, get out. Uh, I'll sit in on church services to see what the basic flow is, where do you keep your uh, daycare uh, or your youth, uh, you know, Bible study kind of things, uh, who's there in other parts during the week or whatever. But anyway, I, recently I was I was at a church and – it's an older building, and that's fine, but, you know, they're, they're leading me around, and every time we get to another door, they say, you know, we, we really need to get the locks changed. They're kind of old. Uh, you know, we're not sure that they would hold very well. Uh, the doors are metal, uh, so that's probably a plus. 
uh, but you know they're older, and, and you probably saw that the that the, uh, the hinges are rusting and stuff. So I don't know how easy it'd be for somebody to just you know work that. And we got probably to the third or fourth door, and this person's pointing this stuff out again, and I've got this big smile on my face, you know. And he looks over and he goes, "So you know, does a smile? Does your smile mean that you know I'm, we're in the right track? We're looking at the right things?" And I said. You know, I, I get what you're looking at. I mean, I, I, I get that this is the obvious thing for you. I mean, you're not a security specialist. You're not you're not thinking from the perspective that I am, where if I were the guy trying to get in this place, right, and which is how you become a really good self-defense expert, is you become really good at thinking about how, thinking the same way attackers think, right? I was taught that when I first became a police officer. You want to catch them, learn to think like them, right? So, but anyway, I've got this smile on my face, and you know, so I said, uh, I get it. I get what you're looking at, but you're looking at the doors and you're looking at the locks. Meanwhile, at every one of these doors, I'm standing next to a floor-to-ceiling height window that is big enough, and I'm not the skinniest guy in the world, that's big enough for me to walk through once I take a hammer or a shotgun or whatever to it and just break the glass. So... We have to be careful that we're not looking at the wrong thing, which is what this guy, that's what his point was. You know, he made it very clear people need to put the, the argument about gun control on, on hold for the moment and get the damn school secure, okay, because we can get caught up in something that we think is super, super important, but it's not the priority in the moment, okay? Uh, we pick a come eye, right, because that's our favorite come eye, or we're really good with those kind of things. And we forget that he has a knife in his hand, and we're sacrificing a limb out there that he could cut and open up an artery or a vascular system, and we could bleed out in a matter of seconds or minutes uh, because we picked the wrong damn kumai because we never bothered to associate kumai, or some people might say stances if you're not involved in the arts at the depth that uh, my students are. Uh, you know, they, they picked the wrong one because they never associated them tactically or strategically and they just learned moves, right? So, um, it's, again, we need, we need to make sure that we're prioritizing, and the priority should be how do we keep the kids safe, right? You can argue about whatever all you want, you know, and that one of the good ideas that are out there is we have a lot of retired law enforcement and military people, veterans and stuff, that already have training, okay? And why not put them to work? Now, when I say put them to work, does that necessarily mean that the municipality has to have enough tax dollars to put more people on payroll? No. Okay. Why don't we go back and do what they did in the Old West when the sheriff just went around and said, this guy robbed the bank, let's put a posse together, let's go get this guy and drag him back. Okay. I bet there's a lot of folks in town that would be willing to volunteer their time on a rotating schedule to be security in a place. I know it happens in the churches that I go and deal with. We, we put together threat right. assessment and core response teams, and they don't get paid, but they want to keep the yeah. congregation safe. You can't mm. tell me that there aren't, you know, now you don't want the 70-year-old vet who can barely move and his cognitive reasoning is a little slower, and you also don't want trigger-happy people, so you do have to vet them, but why not, right? Why not have a happy medium where you can put them to work, but you're not asking for them to dedicate a full-time you know, a full-time job to it, but you could probably get three to five volunteers sure. 
minimum in every municipality that would be willing to work, you know, either alternating days or if you got more than that, you could have three to five in any given school. And as soon as the word gets out, see, now this is called deterrence. I, I just posted on Twitter today, and I don't know if you saw it or not, that the C-suite and decision makers need to stop using the, the passive word prevention, right, and zero tolerance and whatnot, because bad guys don't care that you have zero tolerance, right? Zero tolerance doesn't stop a bullet or a knife blade or whatever, right? Yeah. So uh, you need to stop using the word prevention, and you need to start using the proactive words deterrence and response, because we can't prevent someone who is determined to act from acting. What you can do is make yourself an extremely unattractive target. So I can't stop him from acting, but I can stop him from acting in my direction, which is the same thing we teach the kids here at the school. We can't make bullying go away, but I can make you very unattractive as a bully, as a target of bullying. Okay? So why don't we just start there? Right? But anyway, this is my thing. I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm, my job is to keep my kids safe and offer suggestions and I'm, I'm, this is this is all actually boiling into a, an article or three that I'm going to be doing um, for like letters to the editor and, and things like that. Um, whether somebody and this is not about people contacting me to, to come work for their school and, and bone things up or whatever, but it's to throw out some ideas because that's really what I get paid for as a consultant. They're hiring my brain and they're hiring my perspective and they're hiring me because they don't think this way, right? They think conventionally. And those things keep running them into a wall, right? So they need outside help. They need other ideas. And that's my job, right? So um, why not, right? So, but anyway, um, so that's my, that's my take on that. And I think that one of the, that this whole thing here rolls into the one question that Josh had um, uh, last week about the, uh, the doorstop kind of thing. Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, why don't we do this just for a quick thing, and I don't want to commandeer this or whatever, but we have a bunch of people live on the call, and I think we have several uh -huh. over on the on the webcast. Uh, yeah. This is like a huge turnout um, this time. Uh, so why don't we open it up to any questions? How about if we do that first? You want to you want to unlock things? Yeah, let's do that? that. No, no, no. Go go ahead. Yeah. Okay, so we'll open it up to the folks on the phone first just because there's an 18 to 20 second delay between when we say something and when the folks that are on the webcast just listening through your device when you actually hear us speak. So they need time to hear it, type in their question, get it to us and all that. So we'll open it up to the people on the call first. Anyone have any questions or comments, even if you think I'm full of doo-doo, right? Um, I'm not using the word shit today. Oh, I just used it. Never mind. Um, <laughs> if, you think I'm, if you think I'm full of it, uh, that's okay too. So anybody have any questions or comments about what I just covered um, about this stuff. Uh, this is Steve. I have a comment. Okay. Um, with my job here in Indianapolis, I am in and out of schools five days a week sometimes. Okay. So I have firsthand knowledge and experience of their security. I notice the cameras. I notice the door locks, uh, et cetera. And right in the heart of Indy, probably in not one of the best neighborhoods, uh, very near to a juvenile prison, is a school that I back my truck into and I buzzed the door at the back dock and said, it's cleaners. 
and they let me in. Hmm. There's Without a camera pointed at me, but, you know, and they may know me, but, you know, what if I had my hoodie up that day, you know, and sure. I just said it's gleaners, you know, that's access. And there was sure. nothing else beyond that, and there's actually nobody in the hall. Well, and, th- and this so, is the difference between security and effective active security, right? People put up cameras and all that because, you know, that's supposed to be a deterrent because we're watching you. Except what's the response time, okay? Supposedly the correct. most safe school in the country is in, is that in Indianapolis? I think it might, in Indiana somewhere, right, where they have drills for the kids and everything. The classrooms all have bulletproof doors. There are cameras that line the hallways. Nobody moves anywhere without security seeing it, okay? And security, part of security is the local police department, which is a mere 10 miles away. Um, okay, great. Right? 15, so 20 minutes. So the average response time for the police in this country is 5 to 12 minutes, and that's if they're not doing anything, right? The average active shooter situation is over in less than 10. There's a disconnect. If you don't have people on the ground in the location, it's not going to help. So the right. first phase really needs to be making the target, we call it hardening the target, to make it unattractive as a target. The person's just not going to get very far, so they'll go pick an easier target or find a better place to throw their temper tantrum, right? Um, and then you can work from there because everybody's talking about we need teachers that are trained and all that. Well, first you need to get teachers on board. And two, you need to get them trained, and training doesn't happen at Thursday's class at 3 o'clock, right? It's a process. So, uh, you know, again, and I I get it because I, as soon as Columbine happened and all these schools, quote, unquote, hardened themselves where they had video cameras and the door buzzers and all that, and I just just had to rub my forehead and go, oh, my God, seriously, this is where we're going to stop, right? Because it's – there's a difference between a feeling of security and a knowing that you are secure, right? And we can't confuse the two. So, anyway, all right. Um, anybody else? Any other questions or comments? I'm going to block one out because I think somebody's listening in on the uh, on the call, but it's uh, we're getting a lot of background. No, I don't know who to block it out. Anyway, all right, any other questions? All right, let me check over on the webcast. I'm going to put that back in lecture mode. Uh, while I'm checking on the questions, uh, uh, Eric, you want to you want to address this anymore? Do you have any other comments? Yeah, you know what, there? I was just going to kind of add to it, too, and I was, I was kind of thinking this, and I've, I've heard others remark on this with this topic, and, um, you, you know, it makes me think of, of kind of back to – the setup of ninja training and that first core lesson uh, being that that or prerequisite almost of spiritual refinement like that needed to come first before gathering up all these other you know, deadly skills and um, you know it kind of makes me think of this whole greater issue that our society seems to have that this this type of thing has become commonplace so you know what does that mean and t- what's what's really going on with people as a whole these days, that this has kind of become that common thing. Uh, you know, I think that's something that, that could be uh, addressed further. I don't really know how, but there's just something there that's eating away at me going, you know, where 
where did this really start to come about to where now it's commonplace? Um, yeah. It's really I don't know. I have my own beliefs about these things. Um, I think it starts in, in early childhood and what kids are exposed to early on. And uh, I, I, as a matter of fact, there was, a, there was another post that I posted today. Uh, it was actually from back in the 60s maybe where Mr. Rogers ended up testifying in front of uh, a committee that was going to remove funding from public television and uh, took them all six minutes to uh, change the committee's mind. And Hmm. um, what I got to thinking was, you know, how many, just as my kids have been growing up, how many parents have been completely against Barney or Sesame Street or, you know, these things, right? Mr. Rogers, because he sounds gay or, you know, whatever, Uh, Hmm. whatever the terms are, right? Um, They've been completely against these things because it's corny or it's cheesy or I hate Barney. Why? Well, because he sounds like, you know, he's goofy. And a um, little, little piece of advice, um, Barney wasn't designed for your mentality. He wasn't designed for your age level. He was designed for a very specific age group because of the way they process things. Same thing with Mr. Rogers. Same thing with Sesame Street. Same thing with uh, the electric company and all that, right? But these things have all faded away, and if they haven't, they're still available on public television. They're still available in certain places, but they faded away because either parents decided that their kid didn't need that kind of stuff because that was goofy, or they felt the peer pressure and were convinced that they didn't need it, or they didn't take responsibility for things, so they let their kids watch these other shows, and again, I'm going to sound like maybe my dad or my grandfather, and that's okay. I, mean, I, I get it, right? I'm an old guy, right? and I don't understand. But the more kids are watching the new brand of things, and when I say new, we're talking about two decades worth, right, where yeah. the kids' shows have become um, anti-parent, anti-adult, right, um, authority-hating, Right, we can we know better, and we're going to do it on our own. All that kind of stuff, right? That's what they become, right? And then you add on to that the fact that everybody's got them, their faces sucked into their devices, and mm. they're sucked into the drama and the hatred and the antisocial belief systems and all that kind of stuff that go on on social media, and we wonder why people hate themselves, hate their families hate society as a whole, and think it's perfectly okay to reach out and harm other human beings because they're having a bad day, bad week, or bad life. Gee, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's something to it, and I'm, I'm all about that spiritual thing, because you're right. In the Sogakure school, the very first level of training in the ninja's training was Seishin Teki, personal development. Because the more you get involved in the uh, deception and manipulation training, even in combat training, right, that changes you, and without a good, clear vision about, you know, without um, constant work on yourself to stay balanced between the light and the dark, uh, it's, it's easy, to, it's easy to, to slip. It's easy to just end up being, and I know that firsthand because I was a law enforcement officer for seven years, and i got to tell you that before I had mm. a major, what we call in Mikio, a major turning in the seat of consciousness, I was one antisocial, human being-hating person, and the reason for that was it was my job, right? It wasn't my job to be a human hater. My job 
for 12 to 16 hours a day, five to seven days a week, depending on where I was. Now, I was in the military dealing with, you know, military people and stuff. But think about what the job is. You know, without balance, without being able to control that better, who was I dealing with predominantly? I was dealing with the worst that society had to offer. Or I was dealing with people that hated cops, or I was dealing with people that were trying to buck the system, or they were anti-authority, or whatever, and that takes its toll. And luckily, I had teachers in this art who kept piling on the lessons about personal responsibility, even for your own mindset, and how you saw things, and, and your view of the world, and all that. And I remember, I, I remember the very place, the very day where I was when this happened, I was stewing in this just this negative mindset and something clicked and the words of a teacher popped in. Your viewpoint is your responsibility, that kind of thing, right? And everything changed. Everything changed. Everything. But hmm. that had to happen for me, right? I mean, it, it works a whole lot easier if you're being guided and mentored. But yeah. for the most part, in a lot of regions and in a lot of – from families to communities to whatever, kids are being left to figure it out for themselves, and they're going to figure it out based on whatever input they're getting the most of. But, again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not anything. And people can have contrary views, and that's okay. But this is just from, you know, being on both sides of the fence and watching and seeing how these things work. Right? So, anyway. We have a bunch of comments and questions over on the webcast side that we need yeah. to rush through here because um, we're at the end of our hour. So I think we have a little bit of a buffer here on time. Um, if you need to cut out, just let me know. Um, I'll try okay. to handle these things as quickly as possible. But um, So cool. Um, I didn't hear anything from anybody else on the live side, uh, and it looks like a couple of them are actually over on this side as well. So yeah, let's see. Uh, I need to do a refresh here. Um, cause they're stacking up. Um, do, 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 do. uh, let's see. I'll try to keep this stuff related to this before we just completely change topics. Uh, Tim, uh, good to see Tim again here. So, uh, have, have either of you read, uh, Peterson's 12 rules? Uh, it's a new book that, uh, Jordan Peterson, he's a, a Canadian professor. I don't know if you've, uh, encountered him in your no, past uh -uh. Or not uh, really good stuff. new to me. I'm looking it up right now. He, he really comes at things from the perspective of science with a lot of these social justice things and how people are trying to redefine given words so that it fits their narrative and things like that. Um, hmm. Good stuff. Of course, he's also taken a lot of flack from people that just want to be able to change the definition of things and um, science doesn't matter because that gets that gets in the way, right? Uh, but uh, it's it's if not the newest book, it's one of his newest books. Uh, 12 Rules for Living Life, I think, is the full title. Um, if I'm uh, incorrect. I yeah, have 12, not. 12 Rules for Life, an Antidote to yeah, Chaos. There you go, right? So uh, highly recommended. It's on, my, uh, it's on my reading list. I have not read it yet, but I have. I am a, uh, a uh, avid follower of uh, Jordan Peterson. Um, he has videos all over YouTube, so... Um, by all means, jump on those things. So I'm, uh, cool. Tim says I think it's very pertinent, and it absolutely is. It absolutely is, right? Um, 
things that are in the psychiatry manual as disorders, right, are being made mainstream and any any scientist that step up to point these things out, right, because 99.9% of the human population does not have this disorder, which is why it's called a disorder, right? Um, so instead of these people getting treatment, kind of like post-Vietnam War, where shell shock was turned into PTSD, and because it's called post-traumatic stress disorder, and it doesn't sound nearly as bad, it took decades for these people to get help. Same thing's going on now. So instead of people getting help to be able to reconcile things or whatever, not to turn them into something they're not, but to get them some help, it's being nurtured, and the scientists are being threatened with being losing their licenses, being disbarred or whatever, because they're trying to rationalize the science. Well, who mm. wants that, right? So anyway, uh, let's see if there's anything else in here that kind of fits this. Uh, I don't see anything, so uh, I'll move on to the next thing. Um, the quick answer, or the quick question right here is a couple of folks that are asking, uh, if these uh, are reported for future listening, where can we go to listen to all the podcast episodes? Uh, so the, you want to answer that for the for the, uh, the first part of it, which is basically the Facebook page. Um, yeah, I was going to say, the Facebook page is, is a good place to go. Uh, often after the show, we post up the link to the to where you can download this. So that's the easy, right. easy we way. Do th- we do that. Uh, but the other thing, too, is uh, if you uh, want to make sure that you get the uh, recordings, then what you need to do is get on the mailing list um, because Facebook doesn't always make sure that people, even people that are supposed to be following something, they don't make sure that you get it. I think that the percentage is only 16% of your friends or followers actually see anything that you post, okay? So, um, you know, you may completely miss it. So you want to get on the email list, which is an early notification list, uh, reminding you that these things are coming up. It allows you to, to, um, uh, to get more information from us uh, midweek if we post something. And um, it uh, – Definitely make sure that you're on the list and definitely get the, the links to the recordings. We are building download pages and connection pages and all that, uh, but we're at episode 47 on this, and I have been creating wow. content like this for the past seven or eight years. So I literally have thousands of hours of free teaching, uh, not counting the programs that I do, uh, the Ninja, uh, um, Ninja Motivation and Influence program, the seven – uh, first seven steps on the path of a Buddha, the uh, the online training program, right? The Ninja no Hachimon program, all these stuff, right? So this is just the free stuff that's out and the coaching calls that I do with my inner circle group people. So um, tons of stuff, right? But, yeah, this is episode 47. We're coming up on 50 pretty fast, man. So uh, you need to get on that. Um, there, uh, we'll, I'll make sure that I add another link to this page. Uh, so that you can go there and jump over onto uh, the thing. But I think, uh, let me just make sure that I have it right here. Um, I think it pops up here. Uh, if you go to warriorconceptsonline.com, so that's warrior-concepts-online.com, dot com forward slash, I think it's podcast. Oh, wrong. I forgot something. Podcast dot html crap nope that's not quite it anyway i'll get it out to everybody 
Um, it's on. If you got a, if you had an email reminding you this was going on, or you clicked on the link on the Facebook or the Facebook Kuden uh, page uh, and read the the email with the information for signing on to this. If you just scroll down just a little bit farther, there's the link to the podcast page to subscribe to the online um, uh, email newsletter notification list kind of thing. That's the quickest, fastest way. I am working on getting this stuff up onto uh, a directory on iTunes, um, but it's it's been slow going. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll eventually have a centralized location that you can go back through all 47 and counting episodes. But at the moment, the best best the bestest fastest way is to uh, sign up for the the, uh, the thing. So. There's that. All right, so next one. Um, da -dum -dum -dum. Well, Chris had his earlier, so I'm going to jump onto that one next, right? So his says, um, uh, Mr. Miller, my question stems from our earlier conversation this week about Hatsumi Sensei having the power to change or add on to the original scrolls. When Hatsumi Sensei changes or adds on to any of the original scrolls, where does the new information come from? If the old way of nucleotide was battlefield tested, how is the new Kamai and Kata and whatnot, how is the effectiveness tested, and how does he get the new information out to the rest of the Bujinkan world so we're all on the same page? Wow. That's multiple questions, but uh, to give you a little bit of background, I was talking about this thing and how uh, a soke of a living lineage, like uh, the nine schools that Hakimi they have soke ship of, how that's different from a grandmaster of a koryu, Right or one of these, um, uh, I'm going to use this term, but I don't mean it in a derogatory way, have a typical karate-like tradition, okay? Mm. Uh, and you know the difference between, in one tradition, they use the word dachi for stances, and we use kamai and whatever. I mean, these are little, little changes. But the difference between these two is that one grandmaster is more like a museum curator. So his job is to make sure that the system and style never changes. That's why if you do a kata during a test and something changes and you need to duck that punch in a, in a, with, with a little variation and come back in it and finish differently than the kata says, you fail. Because it's not about um, necessarily – the prior, primary thing behind the, the training, uh, and I'll, I'll debate this with anybody, um, just make sure you have the same kind of historical – study and research behind you uh, that I have, so then it'll be an even debate. But um, the primary goal is not self-defense. The primary goal is in learning the system. And the Grandmaster's job is to make sure nothing gets changed. Okay? So they're a museum curator. Hatsumi Sensei comes from a lineage where the current generation's Grandmaster is not only tasked with, or not just responsible for passing on the art as it was passed to them, which, by the way, has been changed and modified in every generation to keep up with the needs of the current generation. Okay? For example, and Chris and I talked about this in class, the modern version of Kosei no Kamai was not always that way. It changed with when armor changed and weapon types changed. Okay? So it originally looked very much like Bobi no Kamai, okay? If you hmm. look at any of the Quest videos that Hakimi Sensei puts out, um, in many of them, they'll 
pan across the line ink drawings of the Kamai and, and things like that um, in the opening credits. Pay attention to those things because the, in, a, in a lot of them, the, the drawings are people in Chinese dress, not Japanese, okay, and things like Hicho and, and these other uh, positions. They don't look like the way we were taught. Okay? They're varied, right? Well, they're not varied. What we're doing is varied, right? Because the conditions change, the types of fighting change, the types of weapons change, all that, right? So they need to be updated. Okay? That doesn't mean that you arbitrarily run around and update things. That's the Grandmaster's job. And he has rewritten some of the scrolls for this generation. And the reason for that is it was needed. So where does the information come from? His knowledge and experience also, as he says, being influenced by Takama Sensei and all the other past masters behind him. It's a flowing lineage. Okay? So how are they battlefield tested and all that kind of stuff? They're not tested in the same way. Like, he's not going out and getting into fights and things, right? But he's, he has people three times a week throwing punches at him all the time. And they're not being changed to such a degree that you're looking at, you know, something completely different. There's little modifications. Even when he teaches some people, like my own teachers, my teachers have told me that when they're working through a given technique, Hatsumi Sensei will look at them and say, um, the scroll thing like this is right here. I, I don't do it like that. I do it like this. But until you're ready for this change, I want you to do it the way the scroll says. Okay? So everybody's had to go through that. But remember that he has decades worth of experience and study and research. And so he understands more than just the step-by-step -step moves that were passed down. He understands why it would be used, when it would be used, the proper timing, how that would change if a weapon type changed, how it would change if the person's body size or type changed, all that, right? So there's more of a sense of knowing what's right and appropriate than just sticking to the same thing, okay? Uh, and I've, I've addressed that in, in these sessions and in uh, webinars and things as well. When people tell me, well, they don't want to do the, the modern self-defense kind of way of doing things, they're, they're going to stick to the traditional way. Great. Do you understand why it was done that way traditionally? Do you understand that the traditional kamai are based on spear and sword kamai, not unarmed self-defense? Okay. Do you understand that they were de and they're designed to still do things because the other guy was going to punch you just like he was stabbing with a sword or a spear. If the guy in front of you is not punching like he has a sword or a spear, you're going to need to make some changes. Okay? You can still use the kumai exactly as they are. You can still use the techniques exactly as they are, but your angling has to change, your timing has to change. There has to be changes, but you have to understand why. Okay? Hmm. So we'll carry this on more. Um, but there's one more here. I'm trying to fly through these because we spent a lot of time on the school safety thing. Um, so I think it's really important. Uh, let's see. Steve. Steve. Steve po uh, posted here, how did the 18 other martial arts that Takamasa say mastered influence Nijutsu? Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's going to take a whole series of these things. Um, how did it... How did the 18 other martial arts Takamasa study masters influence needed to? Okay, well, everything is influencing each other, right? Um, and often they were um, tested 
in a way that Chris was kind of hinting at. Like, I, I have uh, the story, historical story, of the grandmaster of the Kukushinden School and the grandmaster of the Takagi Yoshin School getting together to share notes. Now, this is before they all became under one soke, right, where one soke owned both things, right? Completely different soke, right? So they get together, and what they're going to do is they're going to they're going to test things, right? So they tested the taijutsu, and they tested the bojutsu specifically. This is from the story that I have, right? When this quote unquote testing was done, the Kukishinden guy acknowledged that Tagagi Yoshin's taijutsu was stronger than Kukishinden, so or Kukishin, not Kukishinden. The den on the end hmm. of Kukishin made it specifically Takamatsu-sensei's um, branch that he was given by Takeda, all right? Um, in the rest of the world, it's Kukishin's view, all right? But anyway, that aside, um, he acknowledged that Tagagi Yoshin's uh, Taijutsu was stronger, so from now on, Kukishinden stuff would be done with Kukishinden uh, stuff would be done with Tagagi Yoshin principles, Okay. And the Tagagi Yoshin Soke admitted that the Kukishinden bow work, the staff work, was stronger than the Tagagi staff work. Does that mean that we just throw away all the Tagagi stuff? No. But now that Tagagi stuff is being influenced and tempered and updated with Kukishinden principles. So, see, at this point in history, can we really divide the nine schools into the nine schools? Well, you can because the Densho are there. And there's certain principles and approaches to things, but everything at this point has been influenced by everything else. Okay, and you have to remember that all the the other eight schools that Hatsumi said they had Soke ship for, and these other 18 schools that that Takamatsu that they had that Hatsumi said they ended up getting, and the over the the, the hundred not hundreds um, dozens of martial arts that Hatsumi said they had trained in leading up to him meeting Takamatsu Sensei are all in there influencing things, but they were all influenced by the Tsukakure school and our reliance on Kyuji's Tenkan and the disguising of truth and falsehood, right? So that everything has deception and manipulation built into it, so things are never what they appear to be. They've all been tempered by each other. So how does it happen? Symbiosis, okay? Um, hmm. They end up under one guy and or multiple, there's either a testing this way, or they end up under one guy who knows what he's doing, and he goes, mm, this one's really weak, so we're going to do it this way, right? So that's where these things continually uh, become updated. There's another way that it gets done, and it's battlefield testing, and that's where somebody comes up with a theory, or they think that one thing's strong or whatever, or they just kind of step back from these battles and go, you know what, everybody that's tried doing that that way uh, they're all dead. Okay, so um, uh, how about if we just stop that nonsense? So um, that, that's that's my quick thing for the moment, right? I mean, to go back and look at how all of them were done, um, we don't have time for that. But uh, hopefully, the the little reference there, the Kukishinden and Tagagi Ocean, um, gives you a, a good idea about how that that works, and it's a good uh, it's a good tie into Chris's question as well. So. Let's do this. Let's open it back up again for one last little round. Anybody have any questions or comments about anything that we covered during this? Um, while they're still waiting to talk, uh, Eric, do you have anything to toss into that before uh, we wrap this up? Uh, no. Uh-uh. 
no. You're, you're scribbling notes yourself, right? <laughs> I, I actually have a full page here. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anybody? All right. Let me check over on the webcast side and see if any other follow-up questions, comments, whatever popped in. Um, all right, going once, going twice. All right, screw it. We're done. Do <laughs> uh, you have any other mentions? Uh, I, I know I'm, I'm working on a training schedule, so we're going to be uh, posting the dates here for upcoming uh, spring uh, ninja camp and fall ninja camp. And, wow, cool. Uh, shooting seminars that are going on the schedule, a bunch of things. So uh, we're also opening things up again. So if anybody uh, uh, thinks they might want to uh, host or sponsor a seminar and bring me in and choose the topics, and because uh, I've got people all over the place, we can put enough people on the floor and we can just get the word out because uh, it's not always convenient for people to come to uh, northeast central Pennsylvania uh, from wherever they happen to be. So if you're in a different area of the world and you want to do something in your neck of the woods uh, or urban or whatever, then we can do that. So you can just contact me through the contact address that Eric will be giving you during the closing. All right. So, That's right. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else? Oh, radio guy? No. Uh, <laughs> I do not. Eric really is in radio. He really is a DJ. So uh, that's how this whole stuff started. Um, way back, right, with episode one, we were talking about wanting to do this and uh, making it like a morning talk show. And here we yep. are. Yeah. A bunch of years Almost later. Almost 50 and... episodes later. Yeah. <laughs> I can't that. believe that. Wow. Yeah. Here we are. All right. So you don't have anything else? Nope. Nope. All right. Fantastic. <laughs> don't forget, guys, if you want us to talk on something or uh, there's an issue or a training topic or whatever, um, you know, th there will be an email address that you'll get here as the thing is closing out. Uh, send it in to us, right? I mean, we really depend on these shows being tailored to what what people want to want to hear about, what, what you want to learn about and, and move on with. So uh, this is about you, right? Um, yeah. That's what we're here for. Yeah, and the questions really fuel it, you know, and the, the whole kind of idea Absolutely. behind Kuden and, and, you know, just the discussions we would have that would happen before or after class and just knowing that there were so many things uh, discussed there, you know, off the floor, so to speak, that were really enriching to the training. So. And knowing that if we make fun of each other, then everybody else is fair game as well. So, because um, we like to keep it light <laughs> and, and humorous, because as you can see, when we talk about the school safety thing, I, I get really serious about those things. But at the same time, you know, uh, we like to inject some humor too. So, because this one was really serious, maybe the next one will just be, I don't know, more uh, dopey. Well, we'll see. We'll see <laughs> if the world throws other stupidity at us and, and we'll go for more. But we didn't want this to That's be a right. dry talk. Right, we wanted this to be to be fun, and I think we've uh, we've stuck to that. We yeah, used to I jump around so. a whole lot between three different like topics, and the shows were like two hour long, two hours long, and stuff like that. But um, we're we're trimming them more. But anyway, here we are. So we're at an hour and twenty now. So we should probably sign off before they before the system. Yeah, we're going to get clipped. <laughs> we That's right. There we are. All right. Okay. So I don't see anything right. else. So let's wrap it up. All right. We hope everybody has a good, uh, safe week. Hope to see you here next week. And, uh, of course, look for linking up for the replays. Uh, if you want to listen to it again or, you know, share that with folks, make sure uh, others get it. But uh, thanks for joining us today on Kuden. Thank you for listening to Kuden. 
the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes with Sheehan Miller, or to submit a question or discussion topic to the show, call 570-884-1118 or visit warrior-concepts-online.com.